Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the podcast. I should say that we're back on Zoom. And that's because there has been some dreadful, dreadful news in that uh, the lovely Pete, as we knew him, uh, has been unwell. I'm pretty, you, I'm pretty well better now, but I've still got a cough. So if I cough a bit, uh, it's that dreaded COVID. Unclean! Unclean! Clean! That's, and, and that's Clean! Just, and that's just my underwear. Yeah. So, yeah, so you've been a bit poorly, Pete, so we're on Zoom, aren't we, mate? We are, because uh, uh, much though I wanted to give it to you, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are we going to do today? Well, this is the first in a short series, I think comprising of three podcasts, uh, which are going to feature Her Majesty's Ship Invincible. And Ooh. today's podcast is... Uh, about the genesis of the battle cruiser. That sounds dead good. So should we fill in some background, a little bit of background? What's going on? What's going on? Well, at the start of the 20th century, the Royal Navy uh, is worried about attacks on British seaborne trade, all the little shippy merchant ships, all the rest of it, conducted uh, by by cruisers in the event of any war. Uh, now, at that time, Gaza, as I like to call you when I'm being irritating, um, Submarines, That's all the time, then. Submarines were still restricted in both range and operating capabilities. And, and at the start of the 20th century, they're not really considered to be a menace yet. Um, but, but, but Britain was dependent on uh, the merchant ship for its foodstuffs. A lot of it was imported then as now. And she'd have been starved into submission unless, unless uh, the mercantile fleet could, could be protected. Now, what was the traditional solution to this, Gary? Well, the traditional solution had, up until that point, been uh, convoys. Now, that's where the uh, the, the target merchantmen, they, they were all gathered together, uh, and they could then be protected by a powerful escort. So they'd be able to assign an escort that was stronger than the ships attacking, or likely to attack. It had been abandoned for a system where British cruisers patrolled up and down. Are you seem to be emphasising the word system. Are you saying this wasn't a system? <sighs> well... 
it, it wasn't really, was it? They were just sort of cruising around and, and hoping that uh, something had happened near the key ports and concentrations of trade routes. So they basically, well, they, they just sailed about willy-nilly, uh, hoping to intercept a, a German cruiser. That was the, 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 the so-called system. Well, that's not yeah, very that's good, Yeah, that's not really it? a system, is it? Now, there's another development on the horizon. What's that? Well, they, they got news that the Germans... Germans? They'd arranged, they'd arranged to arm their fast transatlantic liners to act as sort of the auxiliary cruisers. Oh, now that'll, that, that, that'll cause a bit of a rethink, Gary. Oh, it did, because uh, the liners could outrun... Because, you know, they had their huge onboard coal capacity. They could outlast any British cruiser at sea. So they were faster and they could carry more coal, so they could, they could go longer without going to a port. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, why, what could the Royal Navy do about that? Well, it could respond in kind by arming, you know, her own fleet of ocean-going liners, but that's not enough for Admiral Sir John Fisher, who was the first sea lord appointed in 1904. What did he argue? Well, he argued that such vessels when armed would only be equal to the German vessels, and his flamboyant dictum, and, and he was well known for his flamboyant dictum, it was that... In war, he was huge. Equality, yeah. In war, equality would not suffice. So, in other words, you've got to be bigger, better, greater than the opposition. Now, Fisher, it's it's important in a sense to Fisher was always an erratic figure, but First World War historians often get carried away by his his his, his well madness, where would characterise his uh, performance in fourteen fifteen. But at this point, he's he's still eccentric rather than barking man. Now, what does he conceive of? What's his answer to the problem? Fisher conceived of HMS Unapproachable, which was a super cruiser super of revolutionary cruiser. design. Yep. It was so large, fast and powerfully gunned that she could sink all other cruisers, not at the same time. But a fair number at the same time. And I'm going to be Admiral Sir John Fisher of the Admiralty. Will you be betraying some slight madness in your reading? Well, I just thought about that. I wonder if I should lick my shoulder as I, as I speak. Um, she could have taken gobble up like an armadillo let loose on an anthill. <laughs> Any enemy cruisers foolish enough to wander about British trade routes. That's quite an extraordinary to describe it as he had a a bit of an imagination didn't he but I could picture the the scene uh, a giant armadillo licking up all the little tiny cruisers Um, now he he had another idea didn't he which was uh, besides HMS Unapproachable he had something else in mind what was that and this is very important we might even do a a podcast on it later on What uh, what was his other ship that he had in mind well, it was uh, HMS Untakeable. Oh. These are rather imaginative names, aren't they? Parking mad. Uh, I've just said which he would wasn't. Become, <laughs> which would become the equivalent for battleships uh, and lead to the all-big-gun dreadnought in 1906. Oh, yeah. That, so, so HMS Untakeable is the dreadnought. I get it, yeah. Well, it's a sort of hybrid on the, on the way to it, isn't it? Now, what... Uh, in 1902, the, the armoured cruiser HMS Drake, that was regarded as, a, as probably the best of the armoured cruiser designs. Uh, now, you've got a question to ask me about armoured cruisers, haven't you? What is that question, Gary? Why are they called armoured cruisers when arguably... Uh, there were cruisers with armour. They were insufficiently armoured. 
Well, they're not going to call them insufficiently armoured cruisers, are they? Well, they called it HMS <laughs> Untakeable. Why not? HMS anyway. Insufficiently Armoured. Anyway, the Fisher gets... He's tried to organ, He's tried to work out what HMS Unapproachable should be. So he, he gets. He taps into a number of outside uh, sources and he draws up a, a paper. Now, this paper has got a fantastic title. What is the title, Gary? Notes on the imperative necessity of possessing powerful, fast, armoured cruisers and qualifications. Now, right, let's look at the points he raises. I'll do the first one. It has to be faster than any of the foreign armoured cruisers. It has to be the fastest cruiser in the world. That's the first thing. What else? Well, it's got to have the superior main armament. So main, main armament, 10-inch guns fore and aft, and a secondary battery of 7.5-inch, the largest quick-firing guns. Now, this, this is pre-dreadnought, pre, this is pre so th this does change. But what he means is it's got to have a lot of bangy things that can sink the opposition. So it's going to be able to sink any other cruiser, isn't it? Now, uh, what protection, what armour is, is he looking for? Well, all of the guns have got to be able to resist an eight-inch shell. No, 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 no. All the armour has... Um, uh, 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 oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, You've I see what you mean. The, the, uh, the armour on the guns has got to resist an eight-inch shell. So that's me yeah. not understanding what I've written myself. I do. Yes, yes Unreservedly apologise. You've, you've been poorly. I've been poorly. The brain, you know, Covid fog. Now, when moving on to the armour, the disposition of armament, to be such as that, will give the maximum that, fire that's, ahead. That, that's not armour. That's the that. armament, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and disturb an equal Does this fire. mean you've got COVID as well? <laughs> <laughs> an equal fire ahead and astern, an equal fire on all sides of the, of the horizon. So the banging so things words, have got to be able to fire, round. fire forward and to the side, right? Uh, and he also is keen on oil, fuel and turbine propulsion. Um, he doesn't get that, that's, that's, but, but that's part of his planning process. Then later on, he produces another paper. What is that called? Is that more exciting still? Yeah, the design for a 25-knot armoured cruiser. Now, by then, he's moved on. He's planning for four 9.2 guns in two turrets and 12 7.5-inch guns in six turrets. Um, now, why has he dropped the 10 inch? 10 inch is bigger than 9.2. What is he? Why, why has he done that? Well, it's all about the speed, Peter, wasn't it? The, the 10 inch gun wasn't considered to be worth the extra weight involved in mounting it. Yeah. Now, uh, now the, the next armoured cruiser class that's actually built is the Shannon class. Now, you've never heard of that, have you? And that's nope. laid down in January 1905. And that does indeed carry four paired 9. Point, that's in turrets, two turrets. Uh, uh, 9.2s and 10 7.7s. Hmm. I think it's 7.5. Probably 7.5, isn't it? I, I don't know. I, I'd have to look that up. And that is the Admiralty Board's almost initial response to Fisher's project. But it's not. that's not That's not HMS unapproachable, is it? Well, it's not anything like it, really, is it? Now, now what, other countries, what, what were they doing, Pete? Well, they're, they're on the move. Now, this is a scary thing about this time. Things are on the move. And if you get left behind, remember Britain's fleet's meant to be t uh, bigger than the next two countries put together. So they can't get left behind. Uh, and there's a, other countries are starting to move towards a merging of the battleship 
That's the ship of the line. And, and the armoured cruiser, that's the, 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 the ship that's meant to pre protect the, the highways and byways of the sea. And this is definitely happening. Give us, a, give us an example of, of, of the new ships. Well, as early as 1901, this had been anticipated by the Italians, who had begun to lay down the four ships of the Regina Elena class. Now, they were capable of 22 knots. They carried two 12-inch and 12-8-inch with uh, uh, eight to nine inches of armour. Blimey. Now, the first of those was the Regina Elena, or however you pronounce it. That's launched in 1904. These are getting ahead a bit, aren't they? And, and they're influential in triggering big changes in Fisher's design for HMS Unapproachable because they're already better, except for the speed. They're, they're already stepping along the way. Somebody else is on the move as well. Well, the Admiralty learned in 1904 that the Japanese were laying down two armoured cruisers of a new type. Now, that's the Tsukuba and the Ikoma. And they were designed to carry four 12-inch, 12-6-inch uh, and 12-4.7-inch guns with 7-inch uh, to 4-inch armour and capable of 21 knots. So this is not quite the vision of HMS Unapproachable, mainly through speed, isn't it? And also that the armament's very pre-dreadnaughty. It's very mixed, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly the uh, armoured cruiser development's moving towards an armament that's uh, commensurate with a battleship. Now, we've got to look at the roles that, that might be imagined for a, for a super cruiser, if you like, for HMS Unapproachable. What is HMS Unapproachable meant to do? Tell me, Gary, tell me, tell me, please tell me. Cruise. Your cruising habits are not of any interest to the listening public. Well, let's, let's be serious about this. So, it was required for reconnaissance in force. Yep. Support and assistance of smaller scouting cruisers. So the ones who go and find where the enemy are, it's, they've got to be able to fall back on each of us unapproachable, yeah? Independent expeditions to round up enemy marauding cruisers. That's uh, things like uh, Von Spee's Quadrant. We'll perhaps come back to that in a later podcast. Pursuit of retreating enemy battle fleet and possibly bringing it to bay by concentrating on stragglers. Ooh. And rapid concentration and enveloping movements during a fleet action now the all of these none of them are up to that the, the, they're they all demand a ship more powerful and faster than the the latest uh, armored cruisers that's the warrior or armored uh, shannon armored cruiser classes uh the warriors let's uh, the warriors are interesting because we we've heard about the warrior at the battle of jutland podcast and and the classes of those armored cruisers they're just not strong enough to be anywhere near the battle line are they no, but yet they're, they're too important an investment in resources and the size of the crew to be used as a scout where they might actually end up being ambushed. Which they were. The, the first, the, our first cruiser squadron was ambushed at Jutland. And what happened to them? Two of them, was, well, most of them were sunk one way or another. Um, the, the, uh, so this new armoured cruiser, it's got to be... Uh, it's going to be as superior away from the battle line as the dreadnought battleship was superior in the battle line. Um, That's a good way of describing it, Pete. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I struggled, but I think I got there. No, I think you got there. So armoured crewers, they're meant to be able to force their way up to within sight of a fleet and observe it, and unless chased off by other armoured cruisers, yeah, you know, they've, got uh, to keep, they've got to keep that. They're the watching eyes, as it were. 
So to do that, they've got to have a certain amount of armor. Otherwise, they'd be really chased off by the armor cruisers. It, it, um, now, the, what, what there's complicating factors, isn't it? Well, the range of vision is always the same, isn't it? Well, until radar, you could see yeah, the it's same. pretty constant. But but what what is what is changing? Well, the range of the guns, particularly, uh, that's increasing with the bigger caliber guns. It it. It's clear that while speed was necessary for safety, armour was also essential to ensure vision. Why? To Why? Have sight, well, to have a sight of a modern fleet meant that you were within range of its guns. So the range had expanded. So when before you could sail up and have a look at a fleet and then sail off, but now if you could see them, you were within range. If you could see them, they could fire at you. Basically, what it boils down to. So this is part of what's going on uh, with the design of uh, HMS Unapproachable, which will become HMS Invincible. Now, they also wanted the largest gun possible. They had fiddled about with the ten inch, and they'd gone to the nine point two. But but they 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 they'd started to move towards the biggest gun possible to maximise hitting power. Uh, and and there was also a complication. They didn't want a pre dreadnought style armament of lots of different guns uh, that, that, why is that why can't they have 9.2s 12 inch 5.6s 6 inches why can't they have a mixture of calibers well for one thing it, it created confusion for the gunnery spotters as to which shell splash was which caliber of gun at a long range so you couldn't tell which where your guns are firing because there's splashes all over the bloody place so how, how do you correct it you don't know which one it is yeah yeah. Now, uh, but so this is all in the mix of thoughts. Uh, but what do you think the most important qualification for Fisher was? For Fisher, not for the crew. Well, for Fisher, or? it was absolutely speed. And uh, that's because he regarded it as the best form of protection. If foreign armoured cruisers are 24 knots, we've got to have 25 knots. And this was even if it meant a reduced armament and thinner armour. So his, his idea. Ships, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was going to say, his new ships would be able to outrange and sink enemy armoured cruisers without coming under fire. That was the idea. What if, what if the visibility is poor and they have to get closer? Well, then the standard of armour protection of their armoured cruiser contemporaries would surely suffice. Mm. So the, the armour would be just the same as another armoured cruiser? Yeah. Blimey. Mm. Hmm. Not sure about that. What, but what if they? Uh, what if the uh, range? What if they came in sight of battleships? Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, now slowly, Fisher's vision's taking a concrete form: a fast armoured cruiser capable of twenty-five knots and with twelve-inch guns. She would be able to overtake and annihilate everything afloat except the proposed dreadnought. Ooh. So no, the idea is no number or combination of armoured cruisers would be able to do much against. Uh, against uh, HMS Unapproachable, soon to be called Invincible. So, the, the Dreadnought. Now, what are the differences between the Dreadnought and the Invincible, then? The, so, the Dreadnought, HMS Untakeable, it, as, as, as against HMS Invincible, the first battlecruiser, which was, was uh, HMS Unapproachable. So, what's the difference? Well, let's go through what was planned. So, Dreadnought was planned for five turrets, you know, with ten 
times 12 inch guns. So the Invincible would lose one turret, so just eight by 12 inch guns. Um, she would also have some four inches less armor along her belt and on the turrets. The weight saved would be spent on attaining the 25 knots. Now that, that's very interesting because what, what you, this is the thing, this is the thing that, that, that with a displacement of a ship, you can only get so much armor, speed and guns on board. So to boost one, you have to drop the others. Is that what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Blimey. Um, now, uh, so what about the gun disposition? Well, this is a bit technical. They, they, they wanted four guns ahead or astern and four to six uh, to either side. So a uh, port or starboard. Um, in the end... Or a beam, as it's otherwise known. Yeah, possibly. So what, what they end up doing is they have one 12-inch turret, i.e. two guns at the front, one at the back or stern, Gary... Uh, and then they've got one either side uh, amidships. Now, they could but just about fire across the ship, but not really ver to much of an angle. It's all a bit, uh, a bit dodgy, that. Now, uh, they have five rough designs for uh, the Invincible, and they go to a special committee. It's good to have a committee. Uh, just naval experts? No, it was both naval and civilian experts under the chairmanship of Fisher himself. Now, having decided upon the main elements of size, engines and ordnance, the final drawings were completed by June 1905. Do you think when it comes to a ship, size does matter, Gary? Uh, well, it does. yes, to a degree. The displacement means you, the bigger the ship, the more armour, speed and... and uh, uh, and you can have aboard it because it, a bigger displacement means it can carry more weight. Uh, but yep. there is a limitation. And more guns. There is a yep, that's it. Or uh, you've got to make your choices within it. But there is a problem which I didn't mention in the notes in that we don't have dockyards capable of taking bigger ships. So there's a limit on on ship size for the British uh, because there just is. Now, so what uh, is it just one invincible when they announce it? They announce it in the 1905 programme. At this point, it's still called an armoured cruiser. Uh, there's not just one, is there? No, I mean, it's a class. So there's three new armoured cruisers do, announced. Do they tell the world what it's going to be or...? No, no details are given. Uh, indeed, there was there was no hint that the, the trio would be anything more than the usual 9.2-inch uh, type. Of gun. Bangy thing. So no yep. hint of the 12-inch. Way. No. Now, the, now the, only in 1906 did some rumours of a more powerful armament leak out, but even then they were wrong. Now, this is one of the great humorous... Well, it's not humorous for, for some. Uh, what do the Germans do? The Germans hear that they're, they're coming out... Um, they believe that the Invincible is going to have eight 9.2-inch guns. So what do the Germans do? They design their heavy armoured cruiser, which was called the Blucher. Yeah. Uh, and they give her 12 8.2-inch guns in the belief that that's exactly what the Invincible would have. Well, uh, the, the, well eight 9.2-inch guns, yeah. Yeah, so the idea was that 12 8.2 guns would be the equivalent of the Invincible's eight 9.2, which it roughly would have been had the Invincible been armed with 9.2s. Um, now, um, now, to your point you made earlier, with the Invincible displacement limited to 17,000 tonnes, 
armour was always going to be where the design fell down. Because that wasn't negotiable for uh, uh, that. Sorry, that was negotiable for 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 Fisher. Speed and guns weren't negotiable. So armour is where you're right. Absolutely right, Gaza. Now, uh, so uh, the, the now the naval annuals, Jane's brasses, that kind of thing. They credit the Invincible. It's going to have a seven-inch belt. Now, belt is a a a, 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 a big load of armour. Uh, that stretches along and above and below the waterline, the length of the ship. Um, now, that's they, they, it's credit. It's going to have seven-inch belts uh, of armour. It's going to have 10-inch of armour on the turrets. But, but that's uh, not really the case. Um, they, 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 they've only got six inches of belt. And at the bows, it's only four inches. And there's no belt at all behind the the, the, the stern turret. Um, what about the guns? Have they got 10-inch armour? No, gun positions had 7-inch above the belt and 2-inch below it with a 2-inch waterline deck and a 1-inch main deck. 1-inch main deck. Magazines? I see a problem there. The magazines were given 2-inch side screens below water. The frankly inadequate level of armour protection triggered controversy right from the start. And uh, you're going to be... Captain Mark Kerr, who was the first captain of the Invincible. When the Invincible was completed on the time, Sir Philip Watts came to see me. That's one of the designers. Among other questions discussed, I pointed out that the range in which I considered future actions would be fought, or anyhow commence, would be at least 15,000 yards, and a shell descending from that range would go over the armoured barbette, penetrate the deck and strike and burst against the armoured tube, going straight down to the magazine, which would result in an explosion that would destroy the ship. Sir Philip replied that he knew the danger, but his orders were to protect the vessel from a projectile fired at a range of 9,000 yards, and he was not allowed sufficient weight to put on further armour. Ooh. Ooh. So it's not as if people didn't spot the problems that were likely with the Invincible class right from the start. That, that, so is he saying that from that greater distance, the shell's not going to come into the side, it's going to come in like a howitzer? Yeah, down. Sort of it. up and over. Up and over, yeah, because the, the shell, to get the range, has to be fired up, further up. So yeah. what goes right. up, what, what does happen to things that go up? Sometimes they come down. So that uh, one or two inches of uh, armour on the, the decking area, uh, that's not going to no. suffice, is it? Now, other people think it's uh, not a well-balanced uh, design. It's not a well-balanced design. It, 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 it's just not. And, and, and it's summed up in a brassy naval voice. Now, can you do your brassy naval annual voice here? That should be brassy, in my view. Vessels of this enormous size and cost are unsuitable for many of the duties of cruisers. But an even stronger objection to the repetition of the type is that an admiral having invincibles in his fleet will be certain to put them in the line of battle, where their comparatively light protection would be a disadvantage and their high speed have no value. So when people say that our criticism is hindsight, this isn't hindsight, it's criticism from the time. Now, um, uh, there's another problem with the design of these ships, because... Because the Invincibles are the, are the centre of his mind, Fisher's got no use in his head for smaller light cruisers, the six-inch guns light cruisers. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He wanted to transfer all their duties to destroyers. In fact, they, they built whole new classes of swift and tribal, tribal classes of destroyers to replace light cruisers. Now, this is unwise because light cruisers, they're essential because what does the British fleet, the Royal Navy, have to do? Where's its responsibility well, lie? Is it just in the channel? Well, effectively, it's got to police the empire. It's, it, it, it's spread across the globe. Battle cruisers could hardly carry out stop and search missions, although they did do that briefly in 1940. Very briefly. So, to sum up, the invincible design using the five intended roles, remember we went through them? Yeah. So, reconnaissance in force. Yes, they can do that. I think that's fine. Support and assistance of smaller scouting cruisers. Yes, absolutely. And there's examples of that at, say, the Battle of Heligoland Bite we'll come to later. Yes, they can do that. Independent expeditions to round up enemy uh, marauding cruisers. Definitely. That's uh, the Battle of Falklands, where they round up von Spee's uh, cruisers. That's brilliant. They do that very well. Right. Now, the the last two. I'm sure this will be all right. Pursuit of retreating enemy battle fleet and possibly bringing it to bay by concentrating on stragglers. Absolutely not. They are not capable of carrying out that function. Their armour is not strong enough. Rapid concentration and enveloping movements during a fleet action? No, absolutely not. Their armour renders them vulnerable, and the German response of, of ships of commensurate speed means that they can't even outmanoeuvre them. So that's two, two things they just don't do, isn't it? Um, In reality, the last two could be formed only by a fast battleship wing of ships. Yet 
thanks to the powerful battleship standard armament and high speed, there would always be a temptation to try using them as fast battleships, and they weren't. They weren't. The first fast battleships would be, well, the Queen Elizabeth class. The War Spy. Remember our podcast on the War Spy? You could call that a fast battleship, although that was only 24 knots, but it, it's, it's getting there. Now, who builds the Invincible, the first of the battle cruisers? They weren't, by the way, they were still called armoured cruisers at this time. That's me calling them battle cruisers. Uh, who builds it? Well, it's built by Armstrong Whitworth and Company at their Ellswick Yard on Tyneside, with work beginning on the 2nd of April 1906. Ooh. Now, she's that- a real monster, isn't it? And she, compared to other cruisers, she's a bloody monster. Um, oh. get, let's go through it. So, so what's a displacement? A uh, displacement was 17,250 tonnes, and that's 8,200 tonnes heavier than the most powerful German cruiser. And German, by this time, Germany's seen it, because of the naval race, they're, they're, they're becoming the real enemy, so to speak. Well, twice as big, Gary, you're saying. Yeah. Mm. Her overall length of 567 feet made her the longest warship in the world, some 40 foot longer than the Dreadnought. Wow. Um, that is big. Now, she's got four Parsons turbines. Uh, they're not oil. Uh, 31 Yarrow boilers. They give a design speed of 25 knots. Uh, is that faster than those German liners we were wittering on about? Yeah, by two knots. Uh, but it was five knots faster than any German cruiser and seven knots faster than any German battleship. On a good day, she could even make 28 knots. Mm, that's a very good day. There's a, but it did. She did actually exceed her design speed at time, which is very rare. For instance, the Queen Elizabeth were not a too slow in design speed. Now, what 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 bangy things has she got? Because this is what it's all about: the bangy things, the speed and the well, bangy she had, things. She had state of the naval ordnance art uh, in eight 12-inch guns, Mark tens. Uh, they were paired in four turrets. They could hurl an 850-pound shell to a distance of some eight and a half miles. Now, I, I got interested by that, Pete. How far do you think eight and a half miles is in yards? Uh, eight times 1,760. Uh, eight thousand plus nearly 16,000 yards. No, 15... Um, it's uh, just below 15,000 yards. It's 14,960 yards, which is almost exactly what Mark Kerr said the distance would be in the earlier quote. Uh, they could fire two rounds per gun per minute. Uh, so that's basically, altogether, 414 tonnes of high-explosive shell every 60 seconds. Although, normally, only six of the guns could be brought to bear on any one side, port or starboard, for a broadside. Um, very rare, any more, anything more than that. <clears throat> so how much heavier was her... Heavier, as in weight of the shells fired per minute, is her broadside than, than well, German it's, cruisers? It's ten times heavier than any German cruiser and four times higher than the German pre-dreadnoughts. So she was actually stronger than a German pre-dreadnought. Four times stronger. Not the armour, though. Yeah, all right. No, no. When and, she le- as you know, if this may come to bear, it only matters if you can hit the target. <laughs> You're very, you've read the second episode, haven't you? <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> now, uh, when she launched then, she did, they, they build them quick. It's not like nowadays when they take sort of 50 years to build a ship. Um, ah, yeah, she was launched on Saturday, the 13th of April, 1907. Now, what the now, usual... See, 
What's the usual Sorry, process? Go they've, they've got things. Well, you, you launch it. It's not ready, is it? They've, they've got no, 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 no. It's got, it's got to have sea trials. So sea and gunnery trials began, and uh, the aforementioned Captain Mark Kerr was appointed to command the ship on the eighth of September, nineteen hundred and eight. Now she she gets to Portsmouth Harbour uh, in March 1909, and and then she's formally commissioned into the Royal Navy, uh, and she's put into the first cruiser squadron home fleet, <coughs> still designated as an armoured cruiser, a super armoured cruiser, but an armoured cruiser. Uh, what did what did Fisher call her? Well, he was delighted, and uh, he called her the Greyhound of the Sea. Is that like Fred? and a new testament ship. Hmm. He boasted that Invincible, classified initially as a large armoured cruiser, had rendered all other cruisers useless, and that no number or combination of conventional cruisers would be of the slightest avail against this armadillo of the seas. Chomp, chomp. <laughs> I love that. Now, uh, she's uh, a good-looking ship. I, I think uh, she's got a long, sleek hull. She's got a ram bow. Uh, it's always interesting. We used to fit ram bows so that we could sink other ships. But uh, what happens with a ram bow in peacetime, do you think? It gets in the way, I should think. No, it sinks anything you bump into. <laughs> so if you if you bump into another ship, instead of it being a bit of a bump, if you've got a ram bow, it <laughs> bloody sinks a thing. Great yeah, stuff. Yes, so it gets in the way. All right. Stupid Gary, stupid it's got sturdy tripod masts anything you'd like to say about the masts gary no i've got sturdy tripods yes you bloody need sturdy tripods uh three funnels and a, and a huge menacing guns they are huge and everything big well she must have looked like just everything you could imagine about british sea power yeah, uh, the, she was the uh, unchallengeable guardian of the British sea trade routes. Now, the two sister ships, they're laid down in 1906. What are they called? What are they called? The Inflexible and the Indomitable. And subsequently, Fisher ordered three of the very similar Indefatigable class. Then guess <sighs> what happened? Uh, the Germans uh, rolled over and said, oh, we're, we're giving up. We're not bothering anymore. Uh, let's, let's, ju let's just play Shovapni instead. No, the Germans took up the challenge, building oh! their own super cruisers, which were not merely as powerful as Invincible, but were actually far superior. The Von der Tan was almost the same length, only four foot shorter, but was broader and nearly 2,000 tonnes heavier, the extra weight being entirely devoted to a much greater amount of armour protection than had been afforded to Invincible. So, so hang on. So, uh, their first... Well, the Blucher was their first try, but they didn't know what they were doing then. Uh, but their first try when they knew what the Invincible was is better, is it? Mm-hmm. He was just having a drink then. He was just having a drink then. Von der Tan had some 6,200 tonnes of armour plate, 10-inch belt, 9-inch turret plates, and 2,000 tonnes of deck plating with extensive internal subdivision by thick bulkheads. This would prove adequate protection against heavy calibre shells. Oh, dear. So, that, so let's say the Vondertan's got 6,200 tonnes of armour plate. How much has the Invincible got? By comparison, 3,460 tonnes. Now, the other thing about the armour on the Vondertan is it, 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 it's thick belt armour goes right to the ends of the ship, and it also goes higher up the side of the hull. Now, what, what, what are we seeing here? What is, what is being demonstrated before our very eyes about ship design? 
Well, it's about choices, as you said earlier. So you can't have speed, huge guns and copious armour in a relatively small displacement. Von der Tan was armed with eight 11.5-inch uh, guns. 45-calibre, yeah. Eight, eight, it's eight 11-inch guns, yeah. My apologies. Uh, which fired a shell of 666 pounds. Ooh. Hang on. 184 pounds lighter than the British 12-inch. So mm. so the Germans have made a choice here and they're going to be armoured with... They're going to be, uh, their armament's going to be less powerful. I mean, that that is a difference. Although it's not a big difference. It's 8 11-inch as opposed to 8 12-inch. But uh, 184 pounds less per shell. That's interesting. Uh, now, the Invincible, that, that's intended to engage much weaker cruisers than herself. Uh, was the von der Tann a much weaker cruiser than herself? No, and and Fisher he'd failed to allow for for any sort of German response. Although some others had seen the problems as early as 1905. Now you're going to be uh, Admiral Sir John Jellicoe. Uh, what a, we did a podcast on him recently. We, we we rather glossed over this part in that podcast, but he was Director of Naval Ordnance around about this time. What did he say? Thickness of armour is determined by the penetrative power of the projectiles likely to be used against it. Now, the project it's likely to be under fire from the Vondertan, because it can go roughly the same speed. Mm. Now, the other thing that Fisher hasn't appreciated is this business about the ranges. Uh, the, the ranges are going to go out to 15,000, above 15,000 yards. Plunging fire was inevitable. Now, what did we say about the invincible deck armour? Yeah, that's going to be really unfortunate, isn't it? Because the deck armour was particularly pathetic. In places, there was nothing to stop a plunging shell from penetrating straight through to the magazine. What do you think happens if a shell penetrates to the magazine? Uh, nothing good. Will it be a big bang? There'll be a huge bang and likely uh, a terrible disaster. Now, how does... Fisher react. Uh, do, do well, he's, he's, he's unperturbed. He, he, ca he covers up the obvious weakness with anodyne slogans such as speed is the best protection and hitting is the thing, not armour. Yeah. Now, to make matters worse, the three ships of the follow-up indefatigable, indefatigable class, they showed no real improvement over the Invincible. Oh, I bet the Germans don't improve on the Von der Tann. I bet the Germans are just happy to just produce load more Von der Tanns. Is that what happens? No, they followed up with uh, armoured cruisers so powerful that they rendered Invincible almost obsolete. The Moltke and Gerben... Gerben? Uh, which were Gerben? We've heard of that. ...which were 22,616 tonnes, and the Seidlitz, we've heard of that as well, 24,594 tonnes each carrying 10 11-inch guns and armour plate on a scale equivalent to Britain's most powerful dreadnoughts. So the, 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 they are using... Their, the, the, they can get wider ships because of their dock facilities, dockyard facilities, uh, the, the uh, dry docks and things. And they... they, they, they uh, hang on, the Invincible was, what, 16,000 tonnes? The Sadlis is 24,000 tonnes? Bloody hell. Mm. Uh, but they don't, they don't stop there. The uh, no. Finger and Lutzov finished the job off with nearly 10,000 tonnes of armour, eight 12-inch guns, a broadside of 7,062 pounds, which was 1,962 pounds heavier than that of the Invincible. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 but speed will be uh, the Invincible's yeah. protection. Yeah, yeah, 
They could also make a speed of 28 knots, which was three knots faster than Invincible. And then uh, how does that uh, motto go? Speed is the best protection. How do you apply that in these circumstances? So the Invincible is slower than the German best battlecruisers. Yeah. Uh, Fisher, how does he respond to this? Well, he's, he's still blind to it all. He, it seems incredible that the next class of large armoured cruisers that the Admiralty proposed were similar to the indefatigable. However, oh. Oh. Jellicoe... Oh. Does, does someone intervene? Yeah, he's then serving as the third sea lord from... And I get confused about first, second, third sea lords, but he's third sea lord from 1908 to 1911. And he saw the lunacy of this. And he had the design altered to greatly increase size, armament and speed. And the resulting ships, the Lion, Queen Mary and Princess Royal, were faster at 29 knots and had eight 13.5-inch guns with a 10,000-pound broadside. But their armour's still too thin. Now, that's uh, 10,000. Now, you said that Lutzow, that was a broadside of just over 7,000 pounds. So this is 3,000 more than that. So they are their guns are, are better. Uh, their speed is, be- is better by a knot or so, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how's the armour? Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's still too, too thin. thin. It's too thin. In 1912, all ships of the Invincible type were reclassified to battlecruisers. And in March 1913, they formed into a battlecruiser squadron under the command of Rear Admiral David Beatty. <laughs> now, no longer to clear trade routes, they are now to be employed as a fast wing of the battle fleet. And you're going to be Admiral Callaghan of the home fleet. The battlecruiser was to engage the enemy battlecruisers in a fleet action, or, if none are present, by using their speed to cross the bow of the enemy and engage the van of his battle fleet. I'm worried about this, Gary. I'm worried. I'm worried. Well, Fisher, he'd boasted the Invincible was a battleship in disguise, but that was when the German battleships were pre-dreadnoughts. Yeah, I mean, it was four times stronger than a pre-dreadnought. Do the Germans have any dreadnoughts, Gary? Yeah, they've, they've got... Powerful, well-designed modern dreadnoughts. The writing's on the wall. Now, ironically, the Germans never officially classified their supercruisers as anything other than armoured cruisers. Oh, but we now call in ours battlecruisers. Right, got it. Yeah. Um, British arrogance and stupidity was, and is, uh, as it was so often, summed up by the master of hubris himself. And following on from my wonderful impersonation previously, I'm going to be... Winston Churchill, First Lord of the Admiralty. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, at present, the British battlecruisers have a prestige in themselves. No one really knows their full value. It is undoubtedly great. It may be even more than we imagine. Their speed, their armour, their armament are all great assets. Even their appearance has a sobering effect. Now, it's not th- on him. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying he was a drunk? No, not at all. Now, uh, you know, the, the problem with that sort of thinking is that, firstly, we've just been through the figures for the Germans, and, and the German battlecruisers are better. Oh. Now, in accordance with Churchill's thinking, in 1912, he sends the Invincible, the Indomitable, to join up with the Inflexible, and they form a new second battlecruiser squadron. Now, what job is that second battlecruiser squadron given? Is it a trivial, minor job? 
No, it's, it's going to be the principal embodiment of sea power in the Mediterranean. The six battleships which had been based on Malta, they're recalled to home waters to face off the high seas fleet. Oh. Hang, on. Hang on. Is the Mediterranean not important to us anymore then? I yeah, mean, I mean... It's a traditional It's a traditional... Sea. <laughs> yes. Uh, dear, You've got a tradition. You have a traditional seat. <laughs> I'm going to finish this. It's a traditional seat of British imperial power, and it was to be held by the three Invincibles against the Italian and Austro-Hungarian battle fleets. But Churchill, he's insanely confident, and I'm once more going to be Winston Churchill, First, first Lord of the Admiralty. We propose to hold... Oh, hang on. <laughs> hang on. We propose to hold the Mediterranean with the force of those very large, very strong battle cruisers. They are units of the greatest value and strength, whose speed is so great that they need never, never fight unless they choose. They can always fight whenever they wish. We think this method of confronting an enemy's battle fleet by a cruiser force of the greatest strength is the best substitute for a stronger line of battle. And as far better force to have than in a line of battle which is weaker than the enemies mm. now he believes that, it, that because of their speed what does he believe there, their speed means there is no danger of their being cut off and destroyed in detail even if they were confronted by the most unfavorable of combinations now, yeah of course I, I i i have trouble about this now if you even if you accept some of what he's saying the speed thing. I mean, the, the, the Austrians and the Italians. Remember, the Italians were part of the Central Powers at the time. Uh, so it is against both those forces. But so let's give him some. But there's something else that Churchill is 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 concealing from us in a sense. What is that uh, that thing? Because there's something about the Invincible we haven't mentioned. What is it, Gary? Well, he knew that all the 12-inch gun turrets of the Invincible were defective and that they'd been that way since commissioning. Gary, I've got to stop you there. Are you saying that our first battlecruiser, our first battlecruiser was effectively without any armament that worked whatsoever, uh, main armament, from the time it was launched until the start of the Great War? What, what, why on earth could that be? What are you talking about, you loony? You're mad. Well, typically of the British, she'd been equipped with experimental electrically powered rather than hydraulically powered turrets. Uh, now, uh, now, complex... now, hang on, hang on. Yeah, so, so electric, that's good, isn't it? Well, except the complex wiring was disrupted by the blast of gunnery and the delicate circuits developed a myriad of faults which would prove impossible to trace or rectify. You mean you, only... you, you mean you can't use a traditional method of kick and throw to fix an electrical circuit in a turret? No, or bang with a hammer. Yeah, um, but, but so what we're saying is that the 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 explosion of the guns that the, the the force of the gun causes a, a load of of small cracks develop in the circuits which are intermittent and almost impossible to track down and eradicate and even when you eradicate if you fire them again the, the other cracks appear in the circuit so yeah so you're you're always looking on the negative side there's a positive you can at least fire them once would that be any What's use your problem? In, would that be any use in a battle against the Austrian and Austro-Hungarian and uh, Italian fleets? Do you think? 
No, no, it's only in 1912 that it's decided to convert them to the tried and tested hydraulic machinery. But this had still not been done when she was sent to the Mediterranean. So, a third, so basically, let me, come on, come on, spit this out, Churchill. Tell me, you, you didn't tell us before. Tell me about. So, well, in essence, one third of the force holding the Mediterranean <laughs> could not fire a 12-inch shell in anger. Now, luckily, nothing happens. <laughs> well, because there is uh, the, the war doesn't break out then. But, but there were things no, that it could have done. But it's a sign of the over, uh, overweening overconfidence of both Fisher and Churchill in their fragile creations. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, the, the, the Invincible is eventually re- recalled uh, quite early on in December 13, 1913, and begins a refit. Is it a quick job to correct the, uh, to, to, to correct the turrets? No, I mean, it's, it's eight months, which tells you something about the size of the, the problem. So she's just about ready in August 1914. Does something happen then, Gary? Yeah, it's a bank holiday weekend. Now, uh, for more reading... Uh, we're not well I'm supposed to know about naval history oh, I'm not sure not. but I, I, I just want to say the two books that most helped me in, in sort of digging back into this the first of them is the, my favourite book of all time I paid £87.50 for it back in the early 80s Oscar Park's British Battleships what a book diagrams uh, it, it, it helped us a, a great deal in putting together these this podcast uh, I it, think it, I saw that on Amazon the other day for about £6.50 you didn't, Gary. Uh, uh, there is a, a pen and sword reprint in the eighties. It's not nineteen uh, eighties. It's not as good. You need the nineteen fifties copy, Gary. That's a warrior. Oh, yeah. uh, and that Oscar Parks British Battleships. I just urge you, if you get a chance to buy one for under fifty quid, you'll never regret it. The other one is V. E. Tarrant. Uh, now his book uh, was particularly useful as well. What's that book called, Gary? Battle Cruiser Invincible. Oh, well, that was good. And and I I, I don't know what uh, V. E. Tarrant's initials are. Uh, well, no, sorry, I don't know what his initials are. I don't know what his name is. I'm going for Vernon Edward. What do you think? I reckon Vernon Ernest. Oh, Ernest by name and Ernest by nature. Anyway, so those were, those were, and we'll be referencing those books again. There are many other books on naval history and lots of great books by a chap called Bert, other people. Uh, well, I enjoyed doing that. Uh, do you think uh, Do you think the Invincible will do well in the war when the war starts in, in the first and second, the second and third episodes of our series? You'll have to listen to the second and third episodes to find out, Pete. Oh, I can't wait, Gary. I can't wait. I'm all of a quiver. Yeah, that's because you're not very well. Oh, yeah. Now, don't forget to vote for me in the... Uh, uh, what's that competition? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that went well. I've got a book at close range in, in a competition for a British military, his, um, military History Matters magazine. We'll put the link up. Do please vote for me, otherwise I'll come last. And everyone Are will point at me. Are we putting any maps up this week? No, we're not putting any bloody maps up. We might put some pictures of the Invincible up. Excellent. I'll remind you. If only you would do it. Cheers, Pete. Ah, oh, see what you did there. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash pg. MH or visit www.blah blah 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 blah
and we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com pgmh or consider subscribing to the podcast for only two pounds per month and get ad free listening and bonus content you can find links for both on our facebook and twitter accounts sounds great doesn't it